You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. He's heading, he's in, arrived in Corinth. Now, uh, Corinth is a huge city with maybe about 200,000 people compared to Athens that had about 10,000 people. And um, Corinth has, is a big city with a big reputation. And it's known especially for two things, for its prosperity and also for promiscuous living. In fact, there was a Greek word that was coined for this promiscuous living, which was to live immorally like a Corinthian. So as you can imagine, this is a pretty hostile place for someone who wants to come and preach the gospel and see a church established. Yet the Lord had plans. He knew that a church needed to be established in this city. He wanted to see a church built, community coming alive, leaders released, the Holy Spirit on display for all to see, uh, the gospel preached and disciples formed. And if you've spent much time in the Bible, you'll recognize Corinth because that is where the Corinthians live. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote two letters to the Corinthian church, and you can find those in the New Testament. God had a plan for this early church in Corinth, just like he has a plan for us here in Aberdeen and in the Shire and across our nation of Scotland. And so together we are going to read Acts chapter 18 and we're going to read verses 1 to 11. So if you have a Bible with you, maybe you want to pull that out right now and we'll read it together. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching the word of God. So God's plan for Corinth was to make disciples and to see a church established in the midst of this city. This godless city, I think we could say, using men and women who are exactly like us. And um, I'm, I'm sure that many of us here are longing 
to see an explosion of people coming to faith. You know, we're longing to see more of the Holy Spirit um, being demonstrated across our lives, in and through us, everywhere we go. And we're longing to see new churches established. Basically, what happened here in the early church in Acts, we are longing to see here in Aberdeen, the Shire, and our nation of Scotland. And in fact, it's no coincidence that we are in the book of Acts. We have spent a whole year in the book of Acts and we're only in chapter 18. Why is that? Because we're wanting to take our time and we're wanting to chew over every part of this text and we're wanting to ask the Lord, what is it that you have to say to us today? And would you do what you did for those people back then? Would you do it in us today and through us? That is why we're in this book. But also as we look at the text and uh, we hear Paul's story, what we see that comes with this is a cost and a challenge that the scriptures present to us. And this is the challenge of the question, which is what am I willing to put on the line for Jesus and his kingdom? What am I willing to put on the line for Jesus and his kingdom? If we as a church do want to see the spiritual landscape change, if we want to see the temperature of kingdom activity increase, if we want to see the Holy Spirit breaking out in minds and hearts and bodies and in our workplace and at Audi and at the gym and in the library and at the school gates, if we want to see the Holy Spirit moving in our connect groups and in church, and we want to see so many people accept Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour. And also to see new churches established across Scotland. Then the question that we need to ask is, am I ready and willing for the Lord to use me in any time to fulfil his plans and his purposes through my life? Paul was. Paul was. And what we can see from this passage is three kingdom practices that Paul has incorporated into his everyday life. So kingdom practice number one, an investment in others. Paul invested his life into other people rather than into himself. So verses one to three. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. So Aquila and Priscilla have literally been kicked out of their country under religious persecution, and they have arrived in Corinth as refugees. And that is where God begins. He begins with two refugees. How the Lord is going to use them begins with the total upheaval of their lives. When life looked totally finished for them, when they were just in survival mode in this new city, when everything just appeared like it was just the end, God was beginning to use them in his plan through Paul. And I believe that that has to be an encouragement and a challenge for many of us today. Because the Lord takes what looks like a dead end and he turns it into a new beginning. Perhaps you feel maybe like you're in a dead end situation right now. You're facing a whole heap of disappointment and pain and hurt. 
maybe perhaps like Aquila and Priscilla, you too are a refugee and you've just arrived in this country and you're feeling lost and, and just everything just feels so overwhelming for you. The good news is that our plans might look like a dead end, but in God, he's just getting started. It's a new beginning in him. And he uses everyday people with everyday situations. People who carry disappointment and pain and grief to carry forward his kingdom. And then we see in verse two, Paul goes to see them. And I love Paul because he's so proactive. He goes to see them. Now, we don't know why he goes to see them. It might be because he just sees something in them and he sees a spark and he's like, oh, I need to invest in you. Or it might just be simply that they're tent makers and so is he. They've got something in common. But whatever the reason was, Paul spent 18 months living and working with this couple. He moves in with them. He works with them. And we know from other parts of scripture that he really developed a deep love and friendship for them. And that is why um, in verse 18, he takes them with them, with him when he goes to Ephesus. And by the time he writes this letter to the, the Corinthian church, Priscilla and Aquila, they have already established a, a, a church in their home. They're integral. They play an integral part to the kingdom advancement in Acts. And then what do we see happens? Aquila and Priscilla, they turn around and they invest their lives in a guy called Apollos who shows up at the end of the chapter. And he's preaching about Jesus, but he doesn't really know how the story ends. So when Priscilla and Aquila hear him, they pull him to one side and they explain to him more thoroughly the things of God. Now, we don't know if that was one conversation or if it took months and months, but they took time away from their job to pass on to this guy what Paul had taught to them. That is a sacrifice. You see, if you don't make tents, you don't get paid. But God put someone in front of them. And because God's plans was driving their decision making, they took time out to invest in Apollos. And then in verse five, we see Silas and Timothy arrive. They're Paul's interns, if you like. And here is Timothy. He is watching Paul. And, we, and he's, he's seeing Paul and he's watching Paul invest and pass on everything he knows to Aquila and Priscilla, who then in turn pass it on to Apollos. And then sometime later, Timothy gets a letter from Paul. And we know it. Um, in, as in 2 Timothy, right at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, what you saw us doing, go do it yourself. That's the plan. Give your life to teaching people who will teach others, who will teach others, who will teach others. Others Keep passing on the faith. Keep passing it on. Jude and Archie McBean were our children's pastors for many, many years at church. They did a wonderful job investing in, in the lives of so many people. 
there was one particular girl, she was very young, she was 14, she was a kid's helper, and Jude took her under her wing, and she started investing in her. She started giving her leadership responsibility. She started nurturing her, challenging her, encouraging her to do more and more and more, and at times picking her up from the floor when things get too much. Jude invested her time and her energy. It was life on life, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And one day, this wee girl turned around to Jude and she said, one day I want to do your job. And that actually came true. A few years ago, when we were all gathered together, as you've heard, we are one church in many places. We were all gathered together in the beach ballroom. And Jude held a baton that she passed on to a now grown woman who is Sarah McConnell. And Sarah now leads the whole of our kids team and heads that up. And she is now doing what has been passed on to her. She is now investing her life into others who invest their lives into others. Keep passing on the faith. That is what we're called to do. If you currently aren't investing your life into at least one person, passing on what has been taught to you, just like Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and Timothy, then can I just say that there is no better time than now to start? You see, our kids need you, our youth need you, our young adults need you, our worship teams need you, our families need you, our newly married couples need you, our new Christians need you, our transform team needs you, our alpha courses need you, our connect groups need you, our cap centre needs you. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that your life, your experience, your wisdom, your faith, what has been given to you is so desperately needed to be passed on and invested and poured into other people. Now, over the last few weeks, I've heard at least half a dozen people come to me and say that they are looking for some kind of like mentor-like figure in their life, but they don't know where to start or who to ask. And would anyone even be interested in that anyway? Church, we need to keep passing on the faith. We need to keep investing into others. We need many, many, many more people like Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and Timothy. Please do not discount yourself. Please don't think, well, there's someone who'd be far more qualified than me. Instead, can we just all commit to going away this week and seeking the Lord and asking him to show you who and where you should be investing your time and your energies and then have a conversation with someone about it. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. It's never too late and it's never too early to start passing on what has been given to you. Kingdom practice number two, to advance the gospel. So Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, they made tents during the week. And then at night, Paul was in um, the synagogue on a Sunday and he was preaching and he was telling people about Jesus. And if you speak to any church planter, they will say, yep, that's pretty much my life. That is what I do. It's not glamorous, but it's profoundly important. And it's as essential as breathing for the advancement of the gospel. 
Tim Keller, he's a world-renowned theologian and author. He puts it like this. The vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for one, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city, and two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city. Nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, nor church renewal process, processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. Paul knew that. And that is why we as a church are absolutely passionate about planting churches. We're on a mission. From the moment that we read the terrible statistics that since 2002, the church in Scotland has shrunk by a third. That basically means on average, um, every month, 10 churches in Scotland are closing. We have been on a mission to play our part in writing a new future for the church in Scotland and to see the tide changed. To plant as many churches as we can for our children and their children and their children. And in the last five years, we've planted so far seven churches all over Scotland from Hannah Brook, who um, was a single girl. And she said to the Lord, I don't know if I can plant a, a church as a single woman. And the Lord said, of course you can. And he sent her to Stirling. And Stirling Vineyard was birthed. And it's full of millennials. And it is a beautiful, beautiful church. To Joe and Nikki DeToy, who've come from our Stonehaven site, where they uprooted their three children. And they moved to East Kilbride because the Lord spoke. To uh, Tom and Rachel Kettle who alongside their wee toddler and a very heavily pregnant Rachel moved to Orkney to start Orkney Vineyard, to Neil and Larice, who uh, Neil is an IT consultant and Larice, her day job is a consultant gynecologist. And so they do that by day and evenings and weekends, they're planting a church in Dundee with their three kids. They're doing all of this, every single one of them, because God spoke to them. And they said, okay, Lord, I'll go where you're calling me. And that's where he said, and it's wonderful. You see, some of you watching today, a couple of you watching today, you're called to go and plant. That's the call of God on your life, to go and plant a church. Some of you aren't called to go and plant, but you are called to pray. You're called to pray for the existing churches. And you're called to pray for the churches that aren't even birthed yet. Some of you will be trustees for these new churches. Some of you are called to give financial support to the church so that when we plant churches, we can bless them with a whole heap of money. Some of you are called to be part of the church planting team where you say, well, you know, I could do, I could, I could move my job. I could do my job in a different location. I could move my kids. We could go and be part of a supporting team to help you get this, this church off the ground. You're called to go. You're called to be part of the team. To plant churches is to see the gospel advance exponentially all across our land. Let me just pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you blow across every person that is watching this? Would you speak? 
would you show them where their part to play is when it comes to planting churches? Thank you, Lord, that we all have a part in this. And I pray that you would speak particularly to the church planters. Would you confirm it or would you confirm it even more in them that they're called to go? But show us all our place as we support church plants all across this land. Amen. Okay. So Paul's going to the synagogue every Sunday. He's preaching, he's debating, he's evangelizing the Jews. He's trying to persuade them that Jesus really is the son of God until they oppose him and they become abusive to him. And for many of us, I think, well, if that happened to us, if we were faced with that kind of opposition, then we would definitely give ourselves a reprieve. We would definitely say, well, I think it's time just to back off a bit. I think it's time to give ourselves a well-earned rest. You know, let's just take some time out here. Not Paul. What does he do? Verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. He just goes next door and he starts all over again. Perhaps for some of us, we've been put off or maybe scared off from sharing our faith. Maybe something's happened in the past that has caused us to stop doing it. Maybe we've not shared our faith in years because of a bad experience. Or maybe if we're honest, we've never really got started. If that is you, I really believe that this is a word for you today. It's time to find another door. It's time to go again. It's time to go again. Just like Paul did, he kept on going. And the very next door he came to turned out to be incredibly fruitful. Verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. So Paul leaves the synagogue and then the very next door he pushes, it leads to the synagogue leader where the whole household put their trust in Jesus and get baptised. I think Paul is such an example to us. I just love how he just continually keeps on keeping on in the good times, but also in the bad times. He just keeps on going, not because he's a machine. Not because it isn't hard, not because he doesn't want to give up, not because it wasn't bone-breaking or heartbreaking for him, but because he knew that the call on his life, when he said yes to Jesus, when he said yes to following Jesus, the call on his life was to advance the gospel, to share his faith and to make disciples. Nicky Gumbel, he joined the leadership of HTB in 1976. Many of us will have heard of his name. Most people are a curate in the church in England for a few years. Nicky under Sandy Miller was a curate for 19 years and then he became vicar of HTB for 17 years. And a few weekends ago, Chuck and I, we watched Nicky as he preached his last ever sermon as vicar of HTB. And as you can imagine, it was incredibly moving and really powerful. We hadn't realised that he'd been part of the leadership of HDB for about 46 years. And for much of that time, he was involved in helping the church connect with people who don't know Jesus. 
During that time, 30 million people have been introduced to the Christian faith through the Alpha Course. And 140 countries and with 170 languages. I mean, it's amazing. Now, he persisted through the winter of discontent, through the minor strike, the global recession, the banking crisis, through eight different prime ministers, and then more recently, the global COVID pandemic. And when we watched his final sermon, even then, he couldn't resist plugging Alpha. I think it was his 96th Alpha course that he was personally involved in. And he was getting people up who were um, doing the Alpha course and they were standing up and they were sharing their testimonies of how Jesus had completely transformed their lives. It was wonderful to watch. You see, this man had kept going in season and out of season, year in and year out. His life and all the fruit that comes from it is because he set his course, which was to advance the gospel one life at a time. And he walked that narrow path every single day. Kingdom practice number three, to live a life of risk. That means only God can come through, verses nine to 10. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Notice how the first thing the Lord says to Paul is do not be afraid. Why do you think that is? It's because Paul is afraid. (laughs) He's living a life of risk. His life is continually being stretched and pulled way beyond his comfort zone. You see, Paul is living his life in the margins of risk rather than in the contentment of his own pages. And in his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul reminded them of how he came to them in weakness and in trembling and in much fear. And this is likely to be the moment that Paul is referring to. You see, he's afraid. He's already been beaten. He's already been rejected. And the likelihood is he will be beaten and he'll be rejected again. And so the Lord comes to Paul in a vision and he gives him two promises, the promise of his security and the promise of his presence. But notice what comes with the promise. What comes with the promise is a command. And the command is to do the thing he doesn't want to do. Verse 9. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. The Lord wants Paul to keep speaking, to not to allow his fear to keep him quiet. He's calling him to keep going. And if he does, the promise of his presence and of his security will go before him. We are called to be people who take risks for Jesus. We are called to be people who put all our chips on Jesus. We are called to be people who are stretched and pulled into spaces and places and situations that cause us to be outside of our comfort zone, where the gap, the wedge becomes the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move. And the more of the gap that we create, the more the Holy Spirit can move in and through us. Because we have to rely on Jesus and not ourselves which if we're honest, is incredibly difficult in the culture that we live in, which is all about security and resilience within our own selves and nothing else. 
But when we rely on Jesus the, and we create these gaps, the only explanation then has to be it's a miracle or he provided or I never expected that or thank you, Lord, or just wow, you're incredible. And that is anything than living a beige kind of life. Some of the best and most intimate times I've had with the Lord was when Chuck and I left everything that we knew really, which was in Watford, our home, our jobs, our friends, our church. And we moved 600 miles to Aberdeen where we knew of one person. We didn't know anyone else because we felt the Lord call us to start a youth festival. And um, it was one of the best times of my life because I just had to rely on the Lord for absolutely everything. From putting our house on the market in Watford and telling the estate agent that we needed to sell it for 20,000 more than it was valued at. You can do that in England or back then you could at least. Um, because we'd done our sums and we didn't have any jobs to move to we needed to live off some of the equity of the house and also we needed to put some seed money into imagine to get that off the ground and so the estate agent said well it's not i i don't think you're going to get anyone that's going to pay twenty thousand pounds more for this house and we said well please we want to go with you would you do it and he said i'll give you one week We'll put it on for one week at that price and if it doesn't sell then you have to drop it and we're like okay fine well you know what i'm going to say the very first people that came round they offered the full asking price and actually up until only a few years ago our house was still the ceiling price for the whole street in terms of value so we um we moved we moved to aberdeen not knowing a soul and we stumbled into City Church, at, that was at the time, that is now Catalyst. And boy, are we so grateful we did. Because we were loved and we were encouraged and we were strengthened and we were supported in so many ways. And particularly as we started to set up Imagine. And we are so grateful that the Lord brought us to you. We just, just love, love you all so, so much. To then starting a youth festival called Imagine nine months after we moved. And we ran uh, this youth festival for all the young people in Scotland for nine years, for them to come together, worship together, to see that there were other Christians just like them in Scotland who love Jesus, to be strengthened and then sent out to back to their schools, back to their colleges, back to their families. And we saw the Lord do incredible things. We saw wonderful provision time and time again. But one thing, um, one little story, let me just tell you. Imagine never made any money. It was always touch and go whether we would ever break even. And one particular year, their money was really, really tight. We, it was looking bad. And we had a main speaker for dinner and we were just chatting with them. And uh, just before the evening service, uh, was going to start, uh, meeting was going to start. And, and they said, just in passing, oh, how's the money? And we're like, don't ask, just don't ask. Anyway, this guy, we, had, we didn't have a clue who was going to do this, but he gets up and before he starts preaching, he just says, I believe that there's one person here tonight who can underwrite any loss that this festival is going to make. And if you're out there, 
I want to speak to you. And sure enough, there was one man who came that just one evening and he went up to the speaker and he drew out a check and he, it was a blank check that he had just signed. And he said, I want you to give this to them and I want you to say that to wait for every single bill to come in, even if you don't cash it for five or six months, wait till every single bill comes in and then write the total amount and cash it because I want to underwrite it all. That was the Lord's provision. That's what the Lord did to us. He saved us from having to remortgage our homes. And he, I mean, it was just amazing. We just could not believe that the Lord would do something for us in that way. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. Let's be a people who keep creating gaps and wedges for the Holy Spirit to move. Let's not be self-sufficient. Let's keep creating those spaces in our workplaces, in, with our families and with our friends. Um, you know, in Aldi or at the school gates or wherever we are. You see, church, the Lord didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something. What plan are we living for? What next step is the Lord calling us into? Maybe for some of you, it's to put your hope and trust into Jesus today. Maybe you've never done that before. And today's the day you want to do that. Maybe it's to invest your time and your energies into a group of people or a one person. To do a Paul or Aquila and Priscilla and Timothy and invest your time. And see what the Lord does with that. Maybe it's stepping out in a conversation at work and just talking to someone and just saying, can I just tell you what it means for me to be a Christian, how much I love Jesus and what he's done in my life? Maybe, you know, the risk that you need to take is to do with money. Where you need to choose to live on less than you think you can and give away more than you think you can and see what God will do. Maybe it's to use your skill set in a different way. The Lord is speaking to you about that. Maybe start a new business or move companies or jobs. Or maybe it's to go and plant a church. Whatever it is, when we give up our plans and hand them to the Lord, he always uses us in ways that we could never have imagined for his glory and for his fame. And that's the kind of life we want to live. Why don't I pray? Perhaps we just want to take a moment wherever we are. Just to lay down our plans before the Lord again. If you're visual, maybe you might want to just picture the cross or picture Jesus or somehow just the surrender of surrendering all to Jesus again. Lord, we want to follow you. We want your plans to be our plans. We want to be people who take risks, who rely on you and not ourselves. We want to be people who hear and move with your spirit 
So would you breathe upon us? Would you speak, Lord? Would you guide and would you show us where you're moving, what, you, what our next steps are? We love you, Lord, and we want to be in step with you. And we want to advance your kingdom for your glory and your fame. In Jesus' name. Amen.